Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Well, hello. Good morning, everyone. So glad that you're with us this morning. I'm Donnie Abbott, and uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Timberline. And special welcome to you folks who are tuning in online. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning as well. And uh, as Chris said, a special welcome and happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. Uh, my mom, uh, she's been gone for just over two years now, and I miss her dearly. I don't know if any of you are like me, but I keep uh, voicemails on my phone of people, uh, particularly uh, elder, elderly family members, and um, I have a couple of voicemails from my mom, so I will listen to those every once in a while. But ultimately, the hope for today, of course, is that it will be a meaningful day filled with either memories of your mom or that it will be a day where you create new memories with her. And this morning, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Mark by venturing into Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Now, up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus display his power over nature by calming the storm. You remember that? We've seen him display his power over the supernatural by healing the demoniac. And today, we'll see Jesus display his power over sickness and death. And this is actually a passage of scripture that has two distinct parts to it. And in this passage, Mark employs what is called a sandwich technique, where he begins a story, we'll call that story A, he then introduces another story, story B, and then he returns to and completes the first story, story A. You might remember uh, Pastor Brent when he was here a month or so ago, he, was, uh, he mentioned this sort of pattern that comes up time and time again in Mark. Both stories in this kind of pattern are usually related to one another in that they highlight an important lesson for us to learn. And that's certainly the case in today's story. So as we continue to make our way through the Gospel of Mark, see how many times you recognize this sandwich technique that he employs in his writing. Both stories today have females in it, which is uh, fitting for Mother's Day. And I love this particular passage because it is just dripping with drama. It's a passage that touches on elements of our lives that so many of us have experienced or currently are experiencing as it touches on both the pain of incurable illness and death. Both stories, however, provide examples of people in desperate circumstances whose only hope is to be found in Jesus. And, just a spoiler alert here, that although both stories have a, a heaviness to them, they both have a happy ending. So, let's tackle this passage 
and see what we can learn from both of these stories. We begin reading. When Jesus had crossed over uh, again by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, a couple of quick things to point out here. First of all, are you like me and you find it interesting how much time Jesus is in a boat in the Gospel of Mark? I mean, uh, it, it seems like he's either battling demons or he's in a boat. Secondly, remember, as I've said two or three times previously when I've visited with you, Jesus is an influencer. And wherever he goes, huge crowds of people are following him. We see here another example of this yet again. And then, of course, there's the emotive language that Mark uses to describe this dramatic scene. As we begin to read it, we, the reader, we are immediately drawn in to what is happening. When he says things like, he fell at his feet, he pleaded earnestly with him. Pretty quickly, you and I can see that this is a desperate situation. A frantic scene is playing out before us. And my guess is that most of us can identify with Jairus, where we've been in a situation, maybe not quite like this one, but we've all been there, where we don't know what to do and we desperately need help. 15 years ago, I experienced a similar frantic scene my wife was about to give birth to our third son, and uh, at the time we were living in Sugarland, Texas, but that morning we were in a Houston hospital, and it was a, uh, a serene, tranquil spring day. Everything's going good. It's the third baby. You got this, right, honey? Not a problem. So we're just waiting. We're waiting for Wyatt to show up. The doctor comes in and she checks my wife's uh, vitals and everything and she decides she's going to break my wife's water. So she does that and all of a sudden, Wyatt starts coming. Now that's, that's a good thing, right? Except the problem with Wyatt in this situation is that his umbilical cord was on top of his head and it was wrapped around his neck. So every contraction Wyatt's blood pressure, oxygen levels, they're just plummeting. And the doctor says three words, we've got cord. And we immediately go from this tranquil, serene spring day to all hell breaks loose. I mean, there is, in seconds, there's 10 to 12 medical people that are rushing in the room and they're all talking to one another and they're moving equipment around and before I know it, they whisk my wife off to the operating room and I'm sitting there thinking, what the heck just happened? Me, my wife, Wyatt, we desperately needed help. And I'm happy to report to you that 18 minutes later, Wyatt Ace Abbott entered our world. And he's just the sweetest kid you'll ever meet. But it was a frantic scene. Now, back to scripture. We're introduced to the second 
situation in the passage, the B story. So we need to tuck that first story away for just a minute. It reads, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now this scene, I think, is really a scene of interruption. And we all understand getting interrupted, don't we? I mean, you moms, you moms, you totally get this. This is the world you live in. You're doing one task, right? And then all of a sudden, you're interrupted and you're off doing something completely different. How do you think Jairus felt? in this moment. Remember, he's the desperate dad, right? Who went to go get Jesus and is now leading Jesus to his house to tend to his little girl. What's wrong with her? We don't know what's wrong with her. All that we know is that she's dying. And Jesus, of course, he's in the business of healing. He sets out to heal this little girl only to be interrupted by another desperate person. This time, it's a woman with incurable bleeding for 12 years. This woman had tried everything to cure her incessant bleeding, and the type of bleeding she had made her socially and ceremonially unclean. See, in Jewish tradition, if she even touched anyone, they would become unclean as well. And this goes back to Levitical law. In Leviticus chapter 15, we read, when a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days. And anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. So, according to Levitical law, this woman was unclean for how long? 12 years. Holy cow. Now, keep in mind that the clean and unclean laws at the time had zero to do with morality. This woman wasn't a bad person because she had a flow of blood, but she was looked at as less than whole. See, the Jewish mindset back then was that people who had a discharge of any kind, males with semen and women with blood through her menstrual cycle, they were not whole because they had lost something of themselves. Life is found in semen and blood. And when a person loses either of those, they were looked at 
as less than whole. And this, this kind of thinking is so foreign to us today, isn't it? It's almost bizarre, but it made total sense to an ancient person. And adding to all of this, of course, is that this woman had spent all of her money in trying to find a cure. And as if things could not get any worse for her, because of her state of uncleanliness, she couldn't worship at the temple. So, let's think about this. She's socially excluded, she's religiously banished, and she's broke. I mean, you talk about a hopeless situation, right? So without money and without hope, she hears about this Jesus character who's coming into town. I'm sure that she'd heard about his ability to heal, so she goes out of her way to see for herself if the rumors were true. And in the midst of this bustling crowd and in desperation, she reaches out. For some reason, this woman in need is often depicted in paintings as being on the ground reaching up towards Jesus. And perhaps she's portrayed this way, you know, for dramatic effect. But in her reaching out to Jesus, she displays a vulnerability along with an eagerness to try anything to escape her current situation. She's throwing caution to the wind, man. And as author Jody Picoult says, the desperate usually succeed because they have nothing to lose. Local doctors couldn't help this woman, and at this point in her life, she had nothing to lose and her health and well-being to gain. You know, I often wonder as I read through her story, how many times she was passed by during those 12 years? How many times was she ignored? What type of loneliness did she experience? And over time, did she become the sort of phantom that rarely made an appearance to the outside world? Of course, I think about how did all this play on her psyche, right? How did it affect her family? What about her relationship with God? Was she ever visited by others? Did anyone care? Or were people simply too busy? The condition that she tried to keep hidden ultimately hid her. And the morning that the bleeding woman woke up, she knew something had to change. She just could not continue unless God made a way for her. And you could even understand if that day, she had shown up in front of Jesus as a sort of wild woman, right? Frantically placing herself before him face to face, grabbing his shoulders and begging and pleading for healing. But perhaps because of the embarrassment of her condition and of course understanding the cultural norms at the time, that would have been too much. So instead, she takes a subtle approach and simply touches the fringe of his cloak. You also notice that I referred to this woman as her or she or the bleeding woman. It's because she's nameless in the story. Whereas we know Jairus as Jairus, he's this esteemed member of his community, 
a leader in the local synagogue who extends an invitation to Jesus face to face to come to his home, an invitation that Jesus accepts. The woman, however, she holds no such stature, which is why she takes this more subtle approach. And it brings us to the first point if you're following in the app, following the outline in our app. Jesus is no respecter of persons. With, with Jairus, we see Jesus helping a prominent member of the community, and yet he's also extending a hand and helping this unclean woman. See, the social difference between the two are vast. But with Jesus, it didn't matter. In his eyes, both held the same amount of value and worth. And after years of going unnoticed and overlooked and not wanting to bring attention to what was a very personal situation, she thinks, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And apparently, it was the gravity of her situation and the faith in her heart that caused Jesus to stop. Remember, he's in this bustling crowd, right? And ask those closest to him who had touched him. He was surrounded by people who were probably always reaching out, probably always touching him. And this scene was no different. With a throng of people around him, it was impossible to know who had touched him. And keep in mind that as soon as this woman touched Jesus, remember, what did Levitical law say? Jesus is now unclean as well. But Jesus in this moment, he recognized there was something different about her touch, something about the desperation of her need that caused him to take notice. See, healing power had gone out from him. And I imagine the scene as Jesus stops, almost in slow motion, he begins looking at the dozens of faces around him, looking for the one who had touched him. Looking for the one. And finally, his eyes meet hers. Then the one woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed any longer, came trembling and fell at Jesus' feet. And in the presence of everyone, she blurted out why she had touched him. The passage says she told him the whole truth. Then Jesus said to her the words that she had longed to hear. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. As the woman discovered in that moment, there is something about humbling ourselves and admitting our need for God that draws his attention. In faith, this woman was healed and her life changed dramatically as she was no longer held hostage by what afflicted her body. Now keep in mind, who's watching all of this? Our friend Jairus, right? We can't forget about him. What do you think is going through his mind as he watches this scene unfold before him? I would imagine this dude had a lot of thoughts, right? For one, he was probably annoyed. Remember, he's got a dying daughter at home. He was, perhaps he was encouraged by what he had just witnessed. He was certainly bewildered. 
But then we read in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Some of you have heard those words before as it relates to a loved one, and it's devastating, isn't it? But verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. You notice here in this very tender moment, Jesus doesn't address the crowd, but instead he turns to the one who needs to hear his words more than anyone else. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. What does it say? But they laughed at him. In this very personal moment of loss, Jesus, he's not addressing the naysayers that are around him. And what transpires here is a great lesson for you and I as people of faith. Because we live in a culture of naysayers, don't we? We live in a culture where, where there is an increasing hostility towards us as people of faith. Jesus reminded Jairus and reminds you and I to not pay attention to the naysayers, but instead to focus our belief and attention on him. And the laughter that's mentioned in this passage, this isn't laughing at a joke kind of laughter. This is incredulous laughter, mocking laughter. At the center of their laughter is disbelief. And it's very similar to what Sarah displayed in Genesis chapter 18. You might recall in that passage, there were three visitors who came to Sarah and her husband Abraham. And one of the visitors told Abraham that he would return in a year. And at that time, Sarah would have a son. Well, Sarah, she's in a tent and she's eavesdropping on this uh, conversation. And the scripture says, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Sarah was laughing in disbelief. She simply did not believe what God could do. And the people in the crowd outside of Jairus' house expressed the same kind of disbelief. They couldn't believe that Jesus could raise a dead child back to life again. Let's keep reading. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I told you, each story had a happy ending, right? But there are a couple of quick things that are clearly evident in both stories. The first is, 
the power of touch. As we read both stories, keep in mind, in that culture and belief system, the unclean always infected that which was clean. But Jesus, here he reverses things by transferring his cleanliness onto those who were unclean. Jesus makes the woman clean through her touching him. And Jesus makes the daughter, who people said was dead and unclean, he makes her clean by touching her. The audience watching both of these accounts would have been mesmerized because these kinds of things simply did not happen. Of course, we all know how important it is to touch and be touched in ways that extend love and care. And we see numerous times throughout Mark where Jesus touches people. He healed blind people with touch. He caused the deaf to hear through touch. But it's not just that he touched people, but that he touched people who were oftentimes untouchable because of Levitical laws. You remember going back to Mark chapter one with the leper. The leper was unclean, but what did Jesus do? He touched him, healed him, and made him clean again. And then, of course, we have our story of the bleeding woman. By touching people or being touched, Jesus was helping to restore a person's dignity. Another point, Jesus gave value to women. The other thing that's clearly evident is the value that Jesus bestowed upon women. And this was completely opposite from the cultural norms of the day where women were treated much like property. We know that among Jesus' tight-knit group of people, tight-knit group of followers, many of them were women. There were women who were at the cross when Jesus was executed. The first people who saw the resurrected Jesus were women. But in this situation with the bleeding woman, he goes a step further as he speaks to her and he calls her daughter. This is the only time in all four gospels that Jesus refers to any woman as daughter. And of course, what this conveys is an intimacy, a familiarity, a closeness that Jesus had with this woman. And those of you who have daughters, you know how dear they are to you. This woman, who for 12 years had been an object of scorn, and I'm sure she was called many names, but in this moment, Jesus tenderly refers to her as daughter. And this is just one of many uh, instances where Jesus elevated the status of women in culture that was particularly unfriendly towards the rights of women. Another point that I see particularly in the bleeding woman story is Jesus relieves us of shame. Author and speaker, Dr. Brene Brown, she's an expert on shame. And she defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. I'm gonna read that again. 
Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. That sounds like the woman in our story today, doesn't it? But I know it also sounds like some of you here this morning or watching online. You feel this way because of something that you've done or perhaps something that has been done to you. And because of that, you feel unworthy of love and belonging, just like the bleeding woman. And if you get nothing else from her story this morning, I hope you see that God loves you deeply because you are worthy and that Jesus is the one who relieves us of our shame. All right, the final point, we're almost done. Jesus has power over sickness and death. We see examples of this in both stories, don't we? Healing of, over sickness and death is what we want in all of our lives, don't we? When we or our loved ones get sick, our hope is for wholeness and wellness once again. And of course, we should pray for that. No one knows why God chooses to heal some and not others. That's something that we won't know this side of heaven. But here's the thing for all of us to keep in mind that although Jairus' daughter came back to life, there was a day when she did die. The bleeding woman, she was miraculously healed of her medical condition, but she too also died. And the point of this is that any problems you and I face this side of eternity are temporary problems. We have to keep that in mind. And our ultimate hope is in a final resurrection through Jesus our Lord, where our bodies will be perfect. Thank God for that, right? And where they will be absent of all pain, sickness, and infirmities. And in both stories today, Mark shows how faith in Jesus can transform fear and despair and turn it into hope. It was a powerful lesson for Jairus, for the bleeding woman, and it's a powerful lesson for us today. Can I pray for us? Father God, we thank you so much <coughs> for our gathering this morning. We thank you so much for your grace and mercy. We thank you so much for your word as it's holy and it's true. Jesus, thank you for being the great healer evidence in both of these stories today. And I pray and lift up those who are here <coughs> this morning who need your healing touch, God. Holy Spirit, may you come into them. May you heal them of whatever they need healing from. Make yourself known to us in ways that we've never experienced before. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.